Nope, it is now, isn't it? My nephew told me it was good to go. <laughs> Not the one that's from here either. Thanks, buddy. Probably did on purpose, truth be told. He's like, this will be funny. Watch this. <laughs> anyway, I love, love Daniel, and uh, my nieces and nephews don't get to see him nearly enough. I also love to hear, um, hear them on the instruments. He's all, uh, my sister's coming along. I've been giving her some lessons via Zoom. She's doing much better, but Daniel's just a gifted musician. And then watching the boys play, it's, it's uh, I'm telling you, church, you, you don't know the blessing that it is to have a, have a family that can play when, uh, when they want to and when they need to, uh, because a lot of churches don't have, that, don't have that luxury. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine uh, just this last week, and he was asking what to do when you don't have a, you know, you have a, trying to have a church service and there's no one that can play a piano when they're stuck, you know, trying to find some, um, mp3 music to play which is better than acapella in some cases but it's just not as nice as having somebody live so be thankful it's it's pastor appreciation month and i'm going home in a minute but um and i'm not giving him anything uh but but i think you should uh i think you should uh, colossians chapter number three i just want to take just a few minutes and and look at this passage of scripture beginning in verse number one colossians chapter three if ye they if ye then be risen with christ seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, which things... For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which also ye walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye are also put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. I'm almost done. Verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, Scythian, sorry, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. I want to show you a few things tonight that we will see happen when Christ becomes our all. Uh, the truth is we could ask the question, does, does Jesus have a place in your life? And a lot of us, especially your Sunday night crowd here, a lot of us would say, yes, he has a place in our life. And then, then we can ask the question, does he have a big place in your life? And a lot of us would say, yeah, he has a big place in our life. And then we could go a little further and ask, does Jesus take priority in your life? And some of us might be arrogant enough to say, yes, he takes priority. But the truth is, that's not enough for him. Jesus demands preeminence. That is, 
more than anything else, before everything. And we often live our lives. And look, I've, I've been been in ministry a while now. I've been a Christian more than, way more than I wasn't because I was saved when I was six. But the truth is, in my life, the answer to the question, is Christ your all, so often, if I was honest, would be no. Because so many other things take my attention and get my, uh, my priority, my preeminence above Christ. But we ought to work towards Christ being our all in all. I'll show you a few things. First of all, we need to see where we started from. That's why I started in uh, verse number 1. Uh, when we read uh, this first pa- section of, of Colossians chapter 3, we see, first of all, you and I have been crucified with Christ, verse number 3. The Apostle Paul puts it another way in Galatians when he says, uh, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I live, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we have to start from a place where we understand that our flesh should have been crucified. In fact, if we're saved, it was crucified. And you say, well, why does that matter? Because it matters because we've been set free from that. If our flesh is crucified, we're no longer subject to it. See, there's a major difference between a Christian and a lost person. The lost person sins because they're a sinner, and that is their nature. The Christian sins because they refuse to live in the new nature. When Christ is all, that won't be the case. We've been crucified with Christ. Verse number one, he says that we are then risen. When uh, I don't know how your pastor does it, but when I baptize, uh, you bury the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Because it's symbolic. We're, we're put under the ground. That life is dead. There's a new life to be lived. We've been raised. And so we've been crucified. We've been raised. Verse number 4 says, Now we live with Christ. I just quoted uh, a minute ago where Paul said that he's, the life he lives now is living. Basically, he's saying Christ living through me. It's not my life at all. We see in verse number 3 that our, three, that our life is hid with Christ. All these things, now these four uh, things point to the fact that Jesus should be everything to us should be everything to us. I'm convinced that in the church, Satan has come in and convinced us that it's okay to have a little church and a little Jesus as long as there are other things that take precedent in our lives. And the truth is, in, in ministry, there are just as many pressures to put other things ahead of Christ as there are out, on outside occupations, and we say that so often. So I want to just give you three words this evening. If you're taking an outline, it's going to be three simple points, and I'm going to actually give them to you at the front end. So it just makes things easier. We're going to see, first of all, seek, verse number one. Secondly, we're going to see set, verse number two. And fifthly, fifthly, thirdly, in five. I was homeschooled. I can't count real good. I don't talk so good either. So horrible. Thirdly, in verse five, we're going to look at the word mortify. Or we could say it this way if we want to make it an alliterated outline because we have a Bible college student here. Seek, set, and slay would be when Christ is all. So let's just jump right in verse number one. We see the word seek. This is Jesus. This is Jesus captivating my ambitions. When we are seeking Christ, it is Christ capturing all of our ambitions. He says there in verse number two, uh, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Verse number one, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And as a child of God, I ought to have the, the thing in my life that ought to be preeminent is seeking Christ. And there's nothing wrong. We've got, um, it's been a, a weird year of transition for our family. I've, I'm, a, I'm the father of six, and I have three left at home. Three have grown, and they're out on their own. And um, so often, uh, as, a, as a father, we're seeking the best for our kids. And then when you talk about uh, to your kids, what are you going to do when, you, uh, when they're little? You say when you grow up, when they get older, they're insulted by that. But it's still true. Uh, what are you going to do when you get out of school? 
Or what are you going to do when you finish school? And what you're trying to find out as a parent is I'm trying to see where my kids' ambitions are. I'm trying to see where it is that they're going, what it is that they want. And it's not that I'm trying to find fault, but I want to make sure those things they're seeking are going to be in line with what God wants for a Christian. But we as adults, so oftentimes, Jesus does not captivate our ambitions. Look here, your, your pastor would love to have a church in this right here that runs 1,000 people. Because the truth is it's easier to preach to a large crowd than it is a small crowd. I'm not going to say anybody in here is ugly, but other churches have ugly people. And it's, when there's more of them, you don't have to look at them as often. I mean, this is horrible right here. Um, just kind of blinders on. I don't even see that section of the church. Just horrifying. But the truth is, if, if we in ministry as pastors or as, as men in ministry or, or women with jobs, if the thing that we're even in our ministry, if we're seeking, the ambition that we have is to be successful and our definition of success is something other than what God wants for us, then we even in ministry are seeking the wrong things. And if Jesus becomes our all in all, then we are going to have him captivating our ambitions. Our ambitions are those things that we want, and all of us have those things. Uh, your pastor clearly wants some sort of a frozen uh, effeminate coffee drink uh, after church is over tonight, and now his son is going to be a man and buy that drink for him. If you go to a coffee store and it takes more than three words to order your coffee, you're not a man. You're just not. And, and Daniel, it seems like that's what you're doing. Uh, my dad, um, we were with my dad and all our family in Gatlinburg. When my sister's family and my family and my brother's family get together, there's 29 of us. And so we only do it every couple of years. And we're down there, and my dad is bragging. Uh, he's bragging that he's in his 60s now, and he likes coffee. He's never liked coffee, refuses to drink it. And so I was like, oh, wow, how would you like coffee? He says, yeah, and he's crediting you with this. He says, yeah, Ben got me this, and he's like a mochaccino, skinny latte, macchiato, frappe. I don't know what it is. But I was like, Dad, you just like milkshakes, okay? Whatever that is, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it's just a milkshake. No, uh, that's that thing that you're, uh, that's your ambition. But look, so many of us, are ha- our ambition is to get other things. And if we're not careful, Jesus doesn't captivate my ambitions. The world has captivated my ambition. And he loves that. We, we read Jesus said, laid out for yourselves treasures on earth in the book of Matthew. What did he say at the end of that verse? He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And when the devil is allowed to captivate our ambitions, when Jesus is not our all and in all, when it is him that gives us our ambitions, all of those things we seek, they may look and appear noble, but they are not godly. And if Jesus captivates my ambitions, I'm going to realize that, that I'm not going to be one of those far too many Christians who are um, tied up and tied down here rather than looking up there. The older I get, the faster time goes. I mean, it seems like I blinked and I've got uh, men as nephew, sitting in the front row, it's like at Rue. I'm in South Georgia. Y'all have to excuse me. I'm trying to put my, my big boy language on while I'm up here. Um, but we don't call them Rues down there either. He's looking at the front row. That's R-O-W. Uh, or if you're in Alabama, it's just, uh, just R-O, just row. The truth is that time flies so fast. And if, our, and if our ambitions are not captured by Jesus, we will have wasted our time here. 
We seek those things down here in uh, verse number 2 of, or 8 of chapter number 2. We see oftentimes we can seek the reasoning of this world as our ambitions. And Paul talks about to the church at Colossae. Uh, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, we find the rituals of this world. Paul talks about that, that being our ambitions. And Paul was a man who knew all about rituals. In fact, he said... If anybody has a whereof they might boast in the flesh, he's got more. And then he goes through his list of rituals. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, blameless, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He said, all of those things I had, I had the rituals down. And if you look in the book of Acts, before he came to Christ, when he still saw, his zeal took him to persecuting the church. His ambitions weren't captured by Christ at that point. Our ambitions are reasonings of this world, rituals of this world. Verse number 18 and verse 19 in chapter 2, we see the religions of this world. Religion will send someone to hell faster than, uh, than the world ever did. Verse number 20 of chapter 2, we see the regulations of this world. Boy, we love rules. We love rules. Our churches love rules. I grew up in very conservative uh, Baptist circles, and there's nothing wrong with being godly and being holy and attempting to make sure that the outside looks that way. But listen to me. We substitute too often. We substitute those legalistic outward standards for inward holiness. And if Jesus does not capture my ambitions, I will be happy to follow a list of exterior rules the whole time the inside is on its way to hell. We have given people for generations within the Baptist church false hope of eternity because they look and smell and talk and act the way we think they should. But inside there's nothing captured. And you see the Apostle Paul talks about it in chapter 2. So those are the things we seek down here. So what is it? If, it, what are, if Christ captures our ambitions, what are those things? Well, first of all, we'll seek Him. If you are in love with something or someone, you will seek it above everything else. I was explaining to my children the other day, we, we lived in a time where there was no cell phones. They can't imagine. In fact... We were, um, a couple weeks ago, we were taking a trip uh, up to everybody, see everybody. We left a little bit early and went to a, an Atlanta Braves baseball game. Yeah. Go Braves. That's right. World champions. That's who we are. We're defending. So we're going to a baseball game, and we got done watching the game, and we went to the hotel for that night. going to drive the rest of the way the next morning. We get into the hotel, and uh, my nine-year-old little girl walks over to the side of the, the bed in the hotel room. She picks up the phone, and it has physical buttons on it, and she is enthralled. Right. Look, at this thing has real buttons. Yeah. It's like, am I that old? And I said, look, lady, it's got a cord, too, which she's never seen. It's ridiculous how things have changed. We have gotten to the place where, um, where our kids don't even know anything about the real, the way we grew up. So my wife and I, we were dating. We lived just outside, this is another term you guys won't understand, our local calling area. Anybody remember 1010811? Yeah, or MCI, you know, whatever it was, dime a minute. So when we were dating, we started dating right after I turned 17, and uh, we, we dated for a while, but that long distance was aggravating because I was in love with her, and I saw every moment that I was not busy having to do something else, trying to connect with her and talk with her on the phone or seeing her in person. And, and I remember one time, my dad, who's such a gentleman, uh, walked in the room, and I was sitting, uh, I was actually probably talking to her on the phone, and he just flung a four-page uh, long-distance bill down at, at my feet and says, 100 bucks. How can you talk for $100 worth? Well, it's not that easy when you're just sitting there listening to each other breathe. Because truthfully, at that point, I was, we were so in love that we were, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Yeah. It's like 45 cents I just talked. Yeah. 
when we are in love with someone or something, everything we want is dominated by the desire to be around them. How is it that so often we can go three or four days and there's no Bible in our lives, there's no prayer in our lives, we go to church and there it is, but we forget about it. Look, you didn't forget about that lady, that man when you were dating. You thought about them all of the time. I've been gone from home since last Tuesday and I'm missing my wife and children. Like I told her this morning, I am really missing you today. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. And the kids are still cute, most of them. So I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, the 16-year-old just got his license. I'll probably never see him again. When Jesus captivates our ambitions, we'll begin to seek him above all else. Man, I just wish you had a larger clock up here, Daniel. I may be able to see the time. What are we looking? It's like a billboard at a stadium here. My goodness. I mean, you used to, you used to have the jalopy of a microphone up here. You, you've updated, but... Look at this thing. Can you see that in the sound booth? It's insanity. Six inches from my face. Just kidding. We'll be done at 730. Uh, we seek Christ. He, he comes above everything else in my life. This, this is the goal of the Christian life. It is to be like Jesus. And we talk about that first word, seek, when, when Jesus captivates my ambitions, my whole goal is to be like him. Yeah. When my kids were little and still fun to be around before they became teenagers and realized they knew everything, yeah. I am convinced that my older kids have no idea how I have survived for 42 years. I'm convinced of it. I don't think they know, think I even know how to breathe without being told by them. And you try to give them advice from your larger-than-life experience, according to them, they think you're an idiot. Right. What's going to happen is by the time they figure it out, it's going to be too late to be... To, anyway, I'll go, I'll go on. If you don't have teenagers yet, just hang on. It is a fun ride. And by fun, I mean torturous. But the truth is, the truth is, when my kids are little, especially those little boys, they want to do everything I do. They think I am awesome. I remember one time when Caleb was little and he had smashed a toy to pieces. He comes to me with his toy in a basket because it was in that many pieces and a tube of super glue. And you know what he had faith that I could do? He thought I could take that pile of pieces and fix it. So I said, I'll do that after you go to bed, buddy. I ran to the dollar store, replaced the toy. Boom, we're fixed. The difference is Jesus doesn't have to lie to people. Uh, he can actually fix things. But they thought they want to be just like me. And the problem that you and I have is as the children of the Heavenly Father, we so often would rather be like the world than we would like our God because he's not captured our ambitions. If he is all, I'll set my ambitions and actually he'll be my ambitions. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 8 says that I may win Christ. The Apostle Paul said, out of everything else in my life, that is my goal, that I can win Christ. He said in another place that I, may, that I might be conformed to his suffering and know the fellowship of his suffering. Number one, seek. Jesus captures my ambitions. Let me give you the second one. Verse number two, the word set. This is Jesus dominating my attention. This is Jesus dominating my attention. When you come to the place where he becomes my all and my in all, this word affection that we're talking about in verse number two, it literally means my attention. That's when he says set your affection on things above and not on things there. That is the thing that you're paying attention to because that's always the thing you love the most. Now, ladies, if your husband watches football, the next time that he's watching football, go in and talk to him and see which one he pays attention to more. 
just saying. Now, man, I've, you've had fair warning. You better stop and look at her because she's going to know his affection is not on me. The truth is when Jesus sets, when I set my affection on him, it is really that he dominates my attention. When I wake up, I'm thinking about him. When I'm going to sleep, I'm thinking about him. When I'm going to work tomorrow, I'll be thinking about Y'all are going to work. I'm not. Uh, I'll do that on Tuesday. This means that I will meditate on him. And we have, we have lost the art of meditation in the modern world. We've lost it. We, we think for some reason it means that I have to grow a ponytail out, sit Indian style on the floor, and make some sort of weird hum. But the truth is we're told to meditate on the Word. In fact, David said he meditates day and night on the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with getting in the Bible in the morning and reading a passage of Scripture and then letting that thing sit in here as I go through my day and thinking about it and meditating on it. So when Jesus dominates my attention, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I'm thinking about Him. We heard a message over at my brother's fellowship meeting this week. Uh, uh, and and uh, boy, it's such a simple thought, but it's so profound that so often we as Christians, we're just trying to avoid the discipline of God rather than trying to make him pleased with our lives. And there's a huge difference. You don't want your kids just always afraid you're going to discipline them. You want them to want you to be pleased. When Jesus dominates my attention, I'm thinking about what he would think about what I'm doing right now. The truth is he sees it anyway. He knows that he, he, he knows what you're doing. And when Jesus becomes my all in all, not only does he captivate my affection, but he also he dominates my attention. Not only do we meditate on him, but we make him the focus of our minds. This is how we, listen, this is how we do what Paul said to do, and that is to pray without ceasing. The only way that's possible is when he dominates my attention. When I'm thinking about him all of the time, that's when I can pray without ceasing. I understand the other implications that we could talk about in that passage, but really you cannot pray without ceasing unless you're constantly thinking about him and he dominates your attention. His glory should be my number one goal. He's so good, I should not be able to stop thinking about him anyway. We sang that song just a few minutes ago. One of the verses we didn't sing, it said, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That's why it's well with my soul. How can I take a God who loved me that much to do that for me? How can I not think about him? How can I not see someone else who is where I was before I was saved and not think they need to know about this good God? They need to hear the story about salvation. My attention is completely dominated by what Christ wants and by what he is and who he is and what he wants me to do. So often we live the opposite. We allow the cares of this life to take first place and he gets whatever's left over. I'm a bivocational pastor, so I work a full-time job and pastor a church, and it's a challenge. One of the things that bothers me is so often the requirements of my work and the church ministry take so much of my time that my family ends up with the leftovers. And that's bad enough. But what's even worse is when all the other things dominate my attention and my God ends up with leftovers. I I begin to read my Bible when I'm too tired to pay attention to what I'm reading. I begin to try to pray, but I fall asleep because I'm tired or I've got other things on my mind instead of him. That's not, he's not all in all then because something else has dominated my attention. Nobody wants, no, no, no spouse wants to get something as a leftover for a gift. They just don't. We see that first word this evening, it is seek. That is, Jesus captivates, captivates my ambitions. That word said in verse number two, that he dominates my attention. Let me give you the third thing and we'll be done with this giant clock in front of me. Apparently I have eight minutes left. Oh, I'm sorry, you have the seconds on here too? I have seven minutes and 45 seconds left, 43. Verse number five, look at it again. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. That word mortified simply means to kill. Seek, said, and then slay. If, if Christ is all in all, Jesus regulates my actions. He captures my ambitions. He dominates my attention. And then he regulates my actions. And listen to me, that's the order in which it comes. We as a church can force people to regulate their actions based on some arbitrary rules that we've set up. We can do it. I remember growing up in some of the churches where... Um, Daniel, you'd be, you'd be asked uh, to get right with God because your, your color dress shirt is ungodly, it's unholy. Because that's in the Texas Receptus, it's in the Greek, you wouldn't understand it. And brother, you got wire rim glasses on. That's unholy. I used spearmint gum as opposed to peppermint, so clearly that would be wrong. If you've got hair gel on a hairspray, your ties are too skinny, that was a sign of rebellion. It's horrible. Look, what we can do, we can get people to adhere to our set of rules. We can get people to, to have uh, their, uh, their actions uh, made by us, but until their affections captured, until their ambitions are captured, then Jesus doesn't regulate their actions. Right. And it's only when Jesus regulates and our actions are out of a heart of love that things are okay. Look, we've told people for too long in churches, you have to do this or you're going to get punished. You have to do this or God's going to beat you. You have to do this. Or, but the truth is we ought to always serve, whether it's in ministry, in the church, or out of the church. Our service should come as a return of the love that we have for him. And if it's any other, any other reasons are not, are not right. If the reason I give in the offering plate is because I'm afraid Malachi chapter 3 is going to come home to roost, I'm giving out of the wrong reason. If I go door knocking because I'm afraid the preacher's going to think I'm unholy, if I don't, we're going for the wrong reason. The truth is I get to serve Jesus. My love causes me to do what is right. No other reason. Otherwise, listen, otherwise I'm a slave. If my actions are regulated out of a fear for retribution or a fear of discipline, then I am not, I am not doing it out of a free will. I'm doing it because I'm a slave. Look, we don't want to talk about it, although the sister is in the BLM now, and so we're a very inclusive church here. God bless you, ma'am. The truth is, we don't want to talk about it. In our history, there is some slavery in the background of our country. Do you know what those slaves had to do? They had to pick crops. They had to do the work whether they wanted to or not because they were afraid of the whip. And a Christian that serves in the church, sings in the choir, goes door, door knocking, gives in the offering plate, and they're doing it for any other reason than the fact that they love Jesus is a slave to man's ordinances. But when Jesus becomes my all and he's in all and he's in everything that I do, he is the one then that regulates my actions. Now everything that I do is because I want him pleased. Everything I do is because I know he died for me. The least I can do is live the right way for him. I just want him to be happy and to find my sacrifices acceptable. I'm not worried about his displeasure. I want his pleasure in my life. When Jesus becomes my all, that's the way that we live our lives. And anything else is living beneath your privilege, Christian. It's a shame that I grew up and lived that way for a while where I was afraid of God because of what he would do if I didn't do it right. Rather than saying, God, I love you. Watch how I live because of my love for you. When Jesus regulates my actions, I'll live like Christ. I'll love as he loves. I'll speak like he speaks. I'll do what he did. But only will I love like Christ and becoming more important in this day and age, I will loathe like Christ. We're in a day and age where it's time for Christians to hate sin again. It's unpopular. But look, the Bible's morality hasn't changed. It does not change with culture. And 
so often if, if Christ is going to regulate my action, I'm going to have to learn to hate those things that he hates. He doesn't hate a single person in this world, by the way. The person that's in the gay pride parades, the person that's out doing the rioting, the person that is a murderer, God loves them enough. He sent his only begotten son. You're not any better than they are. He hates what they've done. But can I be honest with you? I've done some things he hates as well. When Christ regulates my actions, I realize that he hates some things but not some people. And I'll live that way. His goals become my goals. So what are the goals of Jesus? Well, if we get in the book, and I'm two minutes and six seconds left. That's really intimidating. Is that attached to explosives? Okay. It's not counting down, so maybe I'm okay. Usually got a cell phone number you're going to call when it's time. He's done. We begin to get into the Gospels and see what it was. What was Jesus' goal when he was here? And we, we could say, well, on a grand sense, he was here to redeem the fallen man. And that is exactly right. But if we take it and we zero in just a little bit, you know what his, his purpose here was? What his action, what, what he wanted? He wanted simply to glorify the Father. He lived his life. And he, he spoke about it over and over in all four of the Gospels. And I hear it as the Father glorified. The Father's glorified in me. I want to do this so that my Father is glorified. That's what he wants from us. This is when Jesus is all and in all, he becomes preeminent. And then all we want is for him to take the glory from our lives. If we could take this and apply this within our marriages, it's transformational. When I, as a husband, when Jesus is captured, my ambitions, when he captivates my attention, when he regulates my actions, all of a sudden I'm a better husband. My wife will be a better spouse. But the problem is when Jesus doesn't regulate my actions, now all of a sudden I'm not who I ought to be. Not just in my marriage, but also in my education. Uh, We've got a few kids, oh, homeschool kids. It's tough. Those homeschool kids are weirdos. I heard... Uh, I heard Ben, right before he graduated uh, his high school prom, he rented a car, got in out in front of his house, it drove around the block one time and let him off. So that was how he went to his prom. I was the driver. Okay, I drove the limo. I heard, uh, you've been graduated one year? Yeah, he had his one-year uh, high school reunion the other day. He just went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror. And so there that was, homeschoolers. They're just weird. But the truth is, in my education, whether I'm in school or I'm in college, the truth is, the truth is, God can be glorified in the way that I'm educated, in the way that I handle my education. That's why we are told, we tell our kids all the time, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. In my marriage, in my education, we all Christ to be glorified in our worship. And I know that's so basic, but it's so important. The world tells us if I feel good, it's a good worship service. What the Bible tells me is if God's glorified, now it's a successful worship service. And you can take that where you want. And then let me hurry. I'm, I'm, I'm Closing my book, 30 seconds over. What about Christ being glorified in your recreation? The things that I do for fun. Even in those moments, if Jesus is dominating my attention, he's captured my ambitions, and now he's regulating my actions, even in those moments, I'm going to have him all and in all. We went played some Frisbee golf yesterday, and uh, I'm going to tell this because it's going to get around anyway. We get on a warm-up tee. If you never play frisbee golf, it is a nerd sport uh, because because it's just just this. That's that's it right there. And I say that I'm about to tell you why you have to have some skill. We're out there warming up, 
I don't have my own Frisbees. That's right. I'm learning if I have my own there in Georgia. Uh, my nie- nephews were allowed, nice enough to let me use them. I'm wearing a coat. I go to take a practice shot. You just let the Frisbee go, and it follows where your, where your follow-through is. I go to let the Frisbee go. It hangs on my thumb. It lets go back here. <laughs> Levi was there. He saw it. I'm looking this way. It goes behind me, actually negative feet on the drive, into some pretty thick woods. We haven't even started yet. I was like, do I have to go get it? Because it's not my Frisbee. Yeah, I have to go. So I, I trudge down the mountain into the woods to get the Frisbee. I come back and realize I can't even lower my arms. I am so covered with burrs. I come out of the woods like this. It's horrible. And if I'm not careful, if Jesus doesn't regulate my actions, well, I don't know what I would I couldn't even put my arms down. It's not like I could have done anything. I'd have Adam, my brother's there, picking me like I'm some sort of primate. Like a monkey on the middle. People are walking by. He's like, don't, don't mind us. We're just grooming him. But the truth is, church, the truth is he should be our all in all. Set, seek, and slay. Lord, we love you tonight. We're thankful that you are all. You are, whether we admit it or not, you are. Would you help us as a church to get to the place where you dominate our attention, where you captivate our ambitions, and Lord, where then you regulate our actions, that we live lives that are pleasing to you, that should be our goal, Lord. Thank you for the fact that we can glorify you in this life here and now. Have you willing way now as we move forward in Jesus' name?